0: I'm Zach Elliott. Welcome to Lab the Podcast. This is a place you'll find life and beauty in every season and in every story. The podcast features honest conversations about faith, hope, and love that will inspire, encourage, and maybe even challenge you to discover the unexpected life and beauty surrounding you right now. Hey, welcome to Lab the Podcast. We are now deep into quarantine life. And I think learning more and more where life and beauty are truly found. And I hope you're finding it. I hope you are enjoying it. And I hope you're sharing in it, uh, and sharing it with everybody that you can. Tonight is episode four of season three. And we are not back at our home base in Buddy Brew yet, but we will be. But now more than ever, we want to show them our love and support. So if you're listening, would you go to BuddyBrew.com And order a bag of your favorite roast. And yes, they do have our signature life and beauty roast. So you can order that. They're going to ship it to you. They make it super easy. And even if you don't like coffee or you don't want coffee or you don't want to buy coffee from Buddy Brew, send them a note if you would and just tell them thank you for providing an amazing home to lab the podcast. Dave and Susan who own Buddy Brew are just tremendous people. They're awesome friends, great partners, and they're small business owners who right now are navigating these tricky times. So we want to take good care of them. Until we get back to Buddy Brew, we're out here in the wild, and I am here with my next guest, an incredibly talented and successful businessman, but more importantly, just a beautiful and successful human. And what I mean by that is he's a man who's made mistakes, he has learned much, loved well, and discovered the mystery of life to the full, and he's giving it away every chance he can. And it's just an absolute joy to introduce my next guest, Mr. Thomas Beckwith. Tom, welcome to Lab the Podcast.
1: Thanks a lot, Zach. I appreciate your inviting me to talk on, the, on your program.
0: Uh, it's good to have you. I miss our time. We We normally get to do this over coffee, but are you hidden away somewhere at the beach, or are you still riding your motorcycle to work every day as usual?
1: Well, no, most of the employees that could are working at home right now. We, uh, their phones ring on their desk at work, and through the miracles of modern technology, it rings on their laptop at home. And in fact, we gave a bunch of employees laptops so they could do that. And so they're at home. Um, there's some advantages to that. You know, I come to work for the, in my jammies in the morning if I want to, and uh, <laughs> just put the little tape on the camera, right? There you go. Uh, so, And we're all learning how to do it. And, and you know, Zoom meetings allow us to uh, see each other except for me at my jammies, you know. But, uh, yeah, we have technical meetings. We do technical presentations throughout the country uh, to our customers because they're also at home from yeah. the electric power industry. So it's really unique, but it's uh, saving a lot of money that way, planes and trains and taxis and hotels, you know. So <laughs> this is pretty neat.
0: Yeah, there's some upside to it, even in the disruption. And I think we are all yeah. learning like a new normal. But it's good to hear your voice. And, Yeah. before We have so much to talk about in a short time. Before we get into it, I just have to ask, because you seem to be an equal parts head and heart guy. And on the one hand, you are just an excellent uh, business person in successfully stewarding this global critical infrastructure company. On the other hand, you've got this really wonderful smile and like a curious, almost childlike joy about you that I found just endearing. It was awesome to get to spend some time with you. Would you say that's true, that you are legitimately both parts of that? Because it's rare to find somebody who can execute at the level that you are executing in the business sphere and also do it in your jammies, riding motorcycles, being who you are. (laughs) And you're not doing yeah, those at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> hope you're not riding your motorcycle. Well, in your
1: some, uh no, I haven't done that yet. Uh, gee, that's an idea. You're still. Tired. Anyhow, uh, no, I yeah, I, I'm very analytic in, in the way I think. Uh, sometimes to a fault, um, I have to understand what I'm talking about. I have to know what people are saying, so I really listen to them. But then, the passion comes out and. Um, you know, when I fell in love with Christ, I, I remember the one of the first people who told me about Christ was a, a young girl in California, and we'd been dating, and she was crazy. I was kind of crazy, and she, all of a sudden, I called her up later, and she started bubbling over about Jesus Christ, and I'm thinking, whoa, I've never heard anybody that excited. I mean, it, I don't know if this is a good analogy. It's like I shook a bottle of uh, NASCAR after mm. the race, <laughs> and champagne just going bubbles everywhere, right? Yep. So she just was bubbling over for Jesus Christ. I'm going, what? And uh, it took a few years for that to kind of sink in. And uh, But she, she impressed me that if we know the Lord created the universe and all the life that's in it, then, you know, he's listening to us right now. And he loves us. We try to love him. And and He's he gets joy for what we do because he's the best daddy in the world then you know that that's something to pretty be pretty excited about and uh sometimes i get talking i can't stop because it's i love it i love the lord
0: well i it comes out in i mean people can hear it in your voice tonight i know even as they're listening they can hear that and i thought it was just the cool grace of god cuz you, you got both of those gifts, you know, the, the truly analytical mind, and we'll get into some of that, but, but your heart is just, it's beautiful, and it's on display, so thank you for that. I want to jump into your story, because we, we really need more time to give this whole story its due, but I want to start a little different than normal. Before we go back, I I wondered if you could set some context for where we are today, because for everybody who's listening, I say Beckwith Electric, somebody might not know what that means on the West Coast or in the Northeast, Um, but, but really to understand what God has done and entrusted to you in stewarding this company, I think we... In order to appreciate everything that he's done, we really need to get a vantage point from this this spot that we're in now. So tell us a little bit about Beckwith, what's going on, why you're considered critical infrastructure, and just kind of what you're seeing from your seat now looking at your company going, wow, God, what have you done?
1: Okay, well, we actually design and manufacture everything in, in Florida, nothing is we buy parts from all over the world, but uh, everything's manufactured in the USA. Uh, It's been like that, it's always been like that, it's always going to be I hope. Um, So basically, we manufacture microprocessor-based protection and controls that protect and control the big, giant power generators, power transformers, power lines, we're in substation, feeders that take the the power out to the people, and uh, it's it's microprocessor-based and communicating, so it's extremely sophisticated little tiny, look, look like flea dropping size parts are inserted on the circuit boards these days, and it's just amazing. They're, uh, they're soldered and put on the board and, and tested to, to very strict standards, because once we go out in the field, we're going to be in a fairly bad environment, uh, high transient environment, temperatures from minus 40, and I've been there, that's like up in Canada, centigrade, and mm. up to a plus 85. Now, that's a little hot for me, but uh, it's got to survive up to that, High temperature centigrade, and and plus bad environment, salt and corrosion and and uh, humidity and fungus and all that. With it's got to be protected out wherever it it is in the electric power system. So it's got and it's got to be really reliable. You just can't fake it. This is where. You know, I'm an I'm an engineer. I, I'm taught to look at the evidence, okay, and check the probabilities and come to conclusions based on evidence. So I have to look at everything that's happening inside the company and outside where we're going to be, and analyze exactly what we have to do to make sure if if, if the test if the testing inside the company if it's going to fail, we want it to fail before it leaves the company. Mm. We do a lot of testing before each unit goes out, but boy, once it, it's out there, we have a Uh, Meantime, between failure, that's like 150 200 years, based on real life statistics. You know, everything man makes could fail, but I tell you, the customers know us. It's it's equipment that works, and they kind of sometimes forget about it because it works, and they don't have to go repairing and replacing it too much. But uh, it's a it's a lovely profession. The the people we work with are great people in the power industry. The engineers that keep the power system going, the men and women are fantastic. I I love them. it's it's been a great honor to work in that industry since we started in 1967. So it's been a long time.
0: That's amazing to see and to think that literally your company is. You know, we take we just walk in, flip light switches on, we power up our computers, we go to the hospital. But there is behind the scenes. This is why your critical infrastructure. Without your products, these are the things that can fail. So crazy. Where. Where in the world, you're doing business globally, all over the world. Where has surprised you that you have gone? I never would have imagined that I would be doing business here or that our product would find its way here.
1: Yeah, well, we're all over Latin America. We were in China, but they copied what we made. And so that's not just a story that you hear about. They copied one of our products and it came out with a. A similar thing. So our, our business in China was, they said, thank you very much, adios, or whatever they say in Chinese.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But, uh, you know, we've sold, um, uh, you know, U.S. and Canada throughout. Um, we've been in some particular countries. We're not huge, but we've been pretty good in the rest of the Middle East. We sell a tremendous amount to the Chinese, to the Japanese. They're incredible customers, and I, I love their lifestyle over there. I've there. my son's. Both went over there and, and learned and studied and came back They're They're not engineers, but uh, they came back with Japanese wives.
0: <laughs> yeah. so, well, the culture... Uh, that
1: Japanese, Japan is a great place.
0: Yeah, the culture there is incredible and so much that we can learn from them, for sure. Well, I love it. Yeah. And it is amazing to think that you're going to work every day and providing this incredible service really globally and to keep the world connected and shine light into the world and it's happening but it it wasn't always that way Beck with electric you know been around since you said 67 i believe but it wasn't all it wasn't always a part of your story directly you weren't always um where you were where you are today take us back to the early days of your story and let's just walk forward together. We'll end up back here and kind of look back at what we've learned. But go all the way back, if you would, and just take us forward and and help us understand just how God brought you this incredible journey all the way to where you are today.
1: Yeah, because I wasn't always like this. I um, uh, I was a product of the 60s and 70s, if you know what I mean. And uh, um, gee, I guess I have to tell you, I did inhale. <laughs> but, uh <laughs> You know, <laughs> it was a, uh, you know, it was rock and roll and, and a, a pretty wild life. And that was uh, what I did because I, I'd been to church when I was growing up. My, my parents were sort of social Christians, but, you know, it's a place where you go in and he talks and you talk and they sing and you sing and, and, uh, stand up and kneel down and you walk out and you don't have a clue. Mm-hmm. But after, after a number of years of kind of, finding out where the life leads you when you just do whatever you want to, and the consequences are whatever happens when you do what you want to, which are not good. I'm mm-hmm. um, driving down the road late at night, um, 1979 it was, and, uh, you know, living the wildlife. And I had a, a firstborn son then, Joshua. Now, I had no idea. I thought Joshua was a tough name for like a, a gold miner in Colorado, right? <laughs> So I'm driving down the road. My little little has got this curly little ringlet hair, and they, you know, I'm beginning to realize kids begin to change your life. So at night it's dark. I'm coming home from work about eight o'clock, and at this uh, the big curves in this road we got here that i have gone past every day for years. All of a sudden, I'm riding my motorcycle too. So <laughs> I break down crying like a baby. I mean, just heaving. I'm driving a motorcycle. That's not a good thing at night because you can't you can't see squat, right? So I. Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking about Jesus too. Go figure, right? Mm. So I'm going down after the curves I come to the straightaway, I didn't even know this church existed. The next part is really strange because the church was dark. I made a left turn at the road just past the church, went down the side of it. There's a metal building back there. There was one light in the main door of the metal building. I parked the motorcycle on the side, put the kickstand down. There was a side door right there. And I opened it. Now, why would I do that? Mm -hmm. Well, I know why now, because Jesus is taking me there. All of a sudden, I see lights and kids everywhere, right? And I'm still crying. And this young young man comes over, found out he was a youth pastor later, but he comes over, he doesn't ask me, you know, (laughs) can I help you? He says, I can help you, because I've cried like a baby, right? Follow me. And he told the sidekick, he said, take the kids. Don't bother me. I'm in my office this man. So he took me there and opened God's word and started to tell me stuff. I knew I needed to learn. I knew I needed to know. That was a beginning.
0: And this is nothing prompt. I mean, this is just, an, this is your route. You drive this route. You're riding back. God was at work. Yeah. You were unaware. You know, you had been living the life and kind of doing uh, what you pleased. And for some reason, in 1979, on this moment, you end up walking through the side door of this church and this is where life begins. That's right. Yeah, life begins to change. That's right. What happened when you got yeah. home? I mean, I mean...
1: <laughs> okay, so I didn't tell my wife about it. I told the I told the pastor that I would be there next Sunday. Didn't tell my wife about it, okay? So here we are going through the rest of the week and Saturday night. In my mind, I had told myself, okay, I'm going to get up 7 a.m. the next morning, but I hadn't told anybody about it. 7 a.m. the next morning. I don't know why I picked that, but here we are, 12, 1 o'clock at night, and we were kind of partying, and and like always, and uh, went to sleep. The next morning, the sun was up. I sat up like a shot. It was (laughs) 7.00 on this little alarm clock, this digital alarm clock, which, you know, I'd never seen 7 a.m. I hadn't seen 7 a.m. in the morning for years, (laughs) right? So I'm waking up. I don't have any kind of hangover or anything. I got up and got dressed and showered. My wife's still sleeping, and I went to church, and there was nobody there because I was early. That's probably the last time I've ever been early to church. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, so I went through all services, came home at noon, and I'm sitting in the front of a room of our little tiny house, and there are the, room, uh, the bedrooms in the back, and I'm reading, I'm reading the Bible. It was the Bible I got when I was a kid mm-hmm. from Pop swills a pastor back in the... 50s, for Pete's sakes. I'm reading it and reading stuff. I just, wow, wow, how come nobody told me this stuff? And all of a sudden, I hear back in the bedroom, go find out what your father's doing. Mm. So all of a sudden, Josh comes out, his little ring that Daddy, what are you doing? I'm reading the Bible. He goes running back. Next thing I heard was, he's what?
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and she comes running out, like, and I was all dressed up. Like, okay. <laughs> where have you been and who have you been there with? All yep. right. <laughs> what have you been doing? Yep. And I told her and she says, yeah, right. I said, yeah, I have. And I'm, I'm crying a little bit. And she sees I'm crying. She sees I'm reading the Bible and she says, really? I said, yeah. She sat down with me mm-hmm. and she was formerly a Catholic and I was formerly Methodist and everywhere I sit down read God's word which is the same for everybody. And I'll tell you what, her heart melted. Mm. That was it.
0: Mm. What a thing. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Like to look back on moments like that and stories like that, and we we just are, as we said, kind of unaware, and we think that we're the first mover in the story. Often, like, yeah, I went and I decided that I was gonna whatever reach out for God. And what we really realize is that long, long, long before there's been, you know, that voice has been calling us back uh, constantly and there's been little moments all throughout life that have led to that moment where we do have an opportunity and there is a moment of surrender that comes. and, And I just think that's amazing. And people who are listening, some of us have had similar experiences. Some of us have known people with similar experiences. Some of us just go, man... I don't know what you're talking about. All I know is the the haunting and the longing that I feel. And I I just, what I loved about the story, the first night that you told, or day that you told me about that night in 79 was just the curious moment that, that if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. He's already there. He's at work. He knew that that pastor would be in there and that you would walk through the side door. And I loved his words, follow me. Like Those are good words. <laughs> <those, those laughs> that's a good prompt. So, well, yeah. It, yeah, life of faith is not a straight line necessarily. And so, you have this awakening. You have this moment where you kind of are reading and discovering all these things that that are flying off the page what happens next? I mean, is it for you, what's the journey of faith look like as your faith matures?
1: Well, you know, I, I decided I want to be one of these guys. I was at church just about every time the doors were open because I needed it. It was like that spring, that beautiful sweet water during the week, in the middle of the week, and then on Sunday morning and night. (laughs) And the, the kids grew up that way. And, uh, we had a great pastor, Pastor Charlie. He spoke. He spoke another language. He spoke Arkansas because hmm. he was from Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> you
2: know what I mean? Yep.
1: He is his sweetheart, and uh, so we we had a, a great number of years as I grew in the Lord. I, I tell you that it turned right away because I I came home after right after that, and a whole bunch of stuff got thrown in the trash and flushed down the toilet and thrown away. So I mean, it was just it was just like. Uh, Day and then night, uh, night and then day. So, you know that it was a great bunch of years, and, then, and we grew. and the, the, I was praying about the, the success of the company, and also because I went to a buddy of mine who was a, a business owner, and and I told him, "Well, things aren't doing too good." He asked me, he "said Well, are you praying about?" It? I said, "Well, I didn't think we were, pray- were supposed to pray for money and riches and stuff like that." He says, "Well, is the company part of your life?" And I said, "Yeah." Well, do you think God wants all of your life, or just the parts you want to give to Him? So I said, I got it. So mm-hmm. I went home. <laughs> I even went back to work. It was at lunch. Went back to work, and I grabbed this technician who was—he's uh, a blonde haired afro. Picture that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we went out, out of the side, which is kind of a woods outside the company. And we knelt down and prayed. I think people were looking out the window. What are these guys doing? And we got down on knees because I said, "Hey, we need to pray." Because the guy was a Christian. So we we prayed about the company and blessings. And I will tell you what. It, was just, it went up really fast, right? Because I told a bunch of people, especially my 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 sister's boyfriend, who was kind of an atheist and made fun of my, you know, my belief in God. But uh, I told him about it, and then when it happened, he said, I, I looked at him, and he said, I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: mean,
1: we, we went up like a huge percentage. Um, it was... <sighs> it was something like 60,
2: 70%
1: in the next year. Yeah. So, I mean, God proves himself. I I mean, I didn't ask for that good, but I, God says, see, I'm here for you. (laughs) I got you. I got you covered. So I, I kind of seen, I've seen the evidence that God shows me and, and things that I talk with him about and he talks with me about, and then I see things happen. And, it's not all good. It's not all perfect, but through the hard times, I've got to keep praising them. Mm. I mean, God says if we don't praise them, the rocks are going to start crying out. And I told my employees, if the last thing we need around here is a bunch of crying rocks, so when I get my employees together, we're going to praise them, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, you know?
0: Well, I love... And, uh, it's nice. When I read the emails that you send from your company to your customers and just the the values that you are... Um, that are at the center of how you run your company it is amazing you know we you you talk about that moment where this person this person said you know have you ever thought that you should pray for your company and you said well i didn't, I didn't know we involve god so many of us have this a little bit of dualism this bifurcation um, this upper story lower story that faith is out there and then my life is here and the two you know can kind of parallel each other but they aren't. They aren't. They aren't wedded together. And it, what I'm hearing is, and have seen from your life, is that seed of faith produces this life change that starts with the real dramatic moments of flushing stuff down the toilet and a dramatic, dramatic change of life. But then, little by little, con- go ahead.
1: Yeah, it's a continuum. And as far as I'm concerned, because my life is everything, and Jesus is. In, you know, his spirit's in me and we're talking to each other all the time. He's the best daddy in the world and um, so he's my, I call my CEO, my chief eternal officer, right? So, yes. um, you know, and I, I have the blinders on as to the, the, the you know, the good things that come financially because, I mean, it sounds like I've got my, I'm not one of these wealth and health kind of guys because I know, you know, stuff is good and stuff is bad in life and we have to take away whatever but i just seen God's bringing me through some Really, really difficult times, and then, um, and I just stay with him and come out the end of the other end of the tunnel, and he was with me at the, uh, the whole time through the valley. It's great.
0: Well, jaw-dropping. <laughs> it is jaw-dropping, and the confidence that you have in God, and to keep those values at the center of your company, they really came to the forefront um, when your company was forced, to get kind of, in a, into a position where your values and the things that you, your convictions were really challenged um, by this ruling that revolved around healthcare. And I wondered, can we get into that just for a little bit and share the story about how you ended up coming face to face, really in a dispute over religious liberty, in a dispute about what would be true about your company? And how did that, how did that happen? And then, and then we'll get into what happened next.
1: Yeah, actually, the the part where I crashed and burned happened before that, or I wouldn't have been prepared for it. Mm. So I gotta, I gotta tell your listeners, I had a a point in time. I'd been a Christian for quite a number of years, and my mom and dad divorced, and it got really ugly. And I tried to stay out of it, and it's, um, it went on for a long time, and you know, I was <laughs> I was an older guy at that time, right? So, but. It doesn't matter how old you are when your parents divorce, and they were both working at the company, so it was kind of like we're there every day at the company, right? And at the end of all of this, I, I just well, my dad. Well, I had to go after my dad to get mom what she what she had to you know stay good, stay alive. Mm-hmm. Um, he'd kind of left her with nothing, so I, I basically took him to court, and soon after that, I got fired. And that was, you know, I guess I realized I'd put too much dependence on the company and not enough on God, because through all that, um, I kind of crashed and burned. I couldn't find work in Florida, in the business that I was in. There wasn't any companies like ours. I worked for another company, and it was kind of a hard-drinking company, and I got back into that again, and then that led to other things, and... Bottom line, I became addicted. And uh, it was really difficult. Hmm. It was really difficult for seven years. I, I, I was not working in the company. I was working for other companies. I bounced around the country. I lost my family and my wife. And with the family, I've, I've apologized. Okay, they've come back. But, you know, I realized how powerful some of the drugs out there today are. And um, they're really hard to get away from. They grab your soul and your body and all parts of you, it's like a thousand fish hooks in your body with monofilament monofilament Mm -hmm. on them. So (laughs) I came back to the company and I was still doing this stuff, trying to maintain, trying to have a good life. My dad offered me a a job to come back to the company. We kissed and made up. I'd met my beautiful wife in this tour through the desert and uh, got another chance at that, Mm -hmm. but I was still addicted. But one day, something happened where my dad, well, the, the guy who was running the company, dad fired him. <laughs> and he looked over at me and said, you're running the company now. And I had come back to the company working for this guy. Now, he's the one that got me fired eight years before.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But I came back working for him. And I was glad to add it because you know, it was my company. I was back again. So dad looked at me and said, you're running the company now. And this was like a lightning shot. Mm-hmm. I said, dad... Thank you very much. Let me go home, pray about it. Well, and I hadn't been praying much at all. So I went home. And I started praying again. I said, God, I cannot do this without you. And it's almost like I heard him say, you think? Mm-hmm. You know? So I, I started throwing, again, flesh and stuff down the soil, throwing stuff away. My new wife had seen it, but she stuck with me for a couple of years after she realized what I was doing. And uh, praying for me. And that was the end of the crash and burn time. Um, it, was, it was like it was gone I had, I, by, I learned some, some new words um, every time I was tempted by this drug I would scream at the walls no never again hmm. I used to scream them at the walls I mean if I did it now I'd probably blow out your speakers but that's uh, <laughs> that's what I did And God, God took me out of that and uh, I was, from that day on I was clean like it was an instantaneous thing not that it was easy but I knew I could never do that again. I knew I could never disappoint my father, my father God, mm-hmm. ever like that again. I'm not perfect, but I'll tell you what, that was that was it in my life. That was over. Now, then when we come to the time in 20, this is 2000, I came to this, 2003. Mm-hmm. I'm in 2012, and all of a sudden I start reading that the government's going to force me to buy abortion drugs. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, Yes, a lot of women can do it, but why should I have to to provide it in my insurance policy to my employees? What's up with that? And my son, firstborn son Joshua,
2: mm-hmm.
1: he was on the edge as far as we were talking before he was born. It could have been, he could have been gone, and I, I think of him every day, Joshua, and it just almost breaks my heart to think he might he might not have been.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He's been such a blessing. So anyhow. I realized that the fines the for not doing this would be $6.6 million per year, and so a company would be bankrupt. So I started praying to God. I said, God, you know, show me what to do. And the steps to show me what to do, my curiosity, why is this happening, where can I go, what can I do? I had to fight Humana, the uh, insurance company, I mean the medical Insurance company. I had to fight them because they put the drugs on in advance of the mandate, and God gave a victory there that I, you know, I never knew fighting how you fight the government, how do you fight an insurance company. But uh, God gave me a victory there through a a number of miracles. Uh, Pan Bondi, the Attorney General of the State of Florida, got on my side, so did Jeff Atwater, the CFO of the State of Florida, who's over the Insurance Office of Insurance Regulation. So Humana relented and finally took the drugs off of my policy. And um, then I three weeks later, I had to go to court, federal federal court, and that's when I got an injunction against the drugs. So it was totally miraculous what happened. I had no idea what I was doing, but God did. And through these miracles, I mean, this is what I say, it's jaw-dropping. When you see this stuff happen, this stuff doesn't happen by accident. Mm-hmm. But when, when when you're in God's will, and you, you I just did the next right step that he wanted me to do, mm. I can't take any credit for it. But he brought this about. It was amazing.
0: Well, I want to pause for a second, because I- any time we share stories like this, we we're flipping through these pages of your story, and we're talking about years. Years of, you know, where your faith comes alive and this is where we said it's not a straight line and God is with us every step of the way. And so in that initial awakening moment that you have and your faith comes alive and you say, this is the direction I'm going to go. So many of us can relate with that. And then so many of us can relate with going, how did I end up right back in this place that I thought I would never end up being in again? And those are, those are, Lots of tears, lots of broken hearts, lots of tragedy, the yeah. loss of a family. you experienced all of that, all the layers of that pain, and that brought you to this deep conviction that you said i never want to I never want to violate um, the relationship I have with god his His grace has been good to me he 's been with me, you had that awareness, and you said i don 't want to do that again, and you found yourself in the middle of your company going. If I just go along with this, that's what I'll be doing. I will be vi—I'll be sinning. I'll be violating. I'll be hurting God. If I—if I kind of walk against this conviction, that's what I hear you saying.
1: Yeah, I'd—I'd I'd be stabbing Jesus in the back. That's exactly what I'd be doing if I did that. I mean, I do it because I love him. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I don't want to do that to him. I mean, he's done so, so much for me and and forgiven so, so much that I just, uh, you know, when I said no, never again, and then a few years later I was being tested with this thing, I just, not, I ain't going to do it.
0: I think that's what I loved when you shared the story with me is that it wasn't a political fight. It wasn't, you didn't go looking for this. It wasn't some partisan thing that you were asking for. It really was a love It was out of love, you saying, I'm actually in a real and living relationship. And that real living relationship, there's realities to it. And if I do this, I will hurt the person that I'm in relationship with. In this case, God. What a healthy thing for us to all just step back and say, this is, that relational lens is a, it's a healthy way to think about uh, sin, we think about sin as a list or any of these things and we go, no, there, there's a deeper conversation and that's what you're setting us up for. That really, I'm in relationship and anything that I do or think or, it, it's just like a marriage. If I go in a way that harms my spouse, that to, to willingly choose to cause harm to this person that I confess to love, I just wouldn't do that. I, I, I don't want to do that. But it comes with a real price. You had to stand up and not just say no to the insurance company, but to the state, to the, to the government, saying, no, you have to do this. And yet you got a victory there. Did it stop at the state level? Or did the victory that you secured uh, clear the way for that not to come up again? Or was that just a temporary victory?
1: Well, actually, I got a preliminary injunction in the federal district court in Tampa. Um, Judge Kavakovich, and uh turned out she was uh, she she taught at Stetson University Law School when Pam Bondi, our former attorney general, was there. And Pam Bondi had signed an amicus brief on my behalf and so and it turned out she was a Catholic too. So anyhow she made a decision, she made a good decision for me and one is she she wrote up the ruling. It was one of the most formidable formidable rulings in any of these cases. So then when Hobby Lobby went to the Supreme Court and they got their injunction, permanent injunction, upheld by the Supreme Court, that was a shoe in for my temporary to become a permanent finally.
2: Mm.
1: I thought it was over. But I had told my attorney a few years before, I see this Little Sisters of the Poor that says, okay, Mr. Beckwith's government says to me, uh, now you don't have to buy the drugs. I'll tell you what, just sign this little this little authorization. The government will give the drugs. Oh, yeah, through your insurance policy buy your insurance company to your employees, but you don't have to buy them. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't about the money. <laughs> I had a sheriff friend of mine, and I said, was, if I had signed this waiver saying, you know, um, somebody could buy a gun knowing he was going to kill somebody, would I be in trouble? He said, yeah, you'd be in jail, buddy. So <laughs> I kind of figured that I'd be an accomplice. So I said, I don't want to do it. So I had to start the fight all over again, which is just about to end. Mm. even with the new administration of the government the Justice Department now I was fighting against the Department of Labor the Department of Treasury and the Department of Oh Health and Human Services and but they were being represented by the Department of Justice mm. so I tried to get when, when the new administration came in I thought well I can just ask them to drop the case or you know, a, you know a, sign an agreement of a judgment summary judgment and they refused to and they, they strung us along for the last few years since the chain administration. So I, I do believe whatever, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist about the deep state. I saw them. <laughs> I know. And they were blocking this thing. It should have been a slam dunk. But, uh, so I do have a permanent injunction that I'm availing myself of right now that has to do with being a member of the Christian Employers Association. Mm. Where they had another judge in a different court that uh, gave them a really powerful permanent injunction against this this thing. So the the uh, the little sisters of the poor, their their case isn't done yet, but I've got a permanent injunction, so it's over for me. And I just pray that those poor Catholic nuns, um, I mean, <laughs> they've got to provide abortion drugs and their insurance policy for their employees. Give me a break.
0: Yeah. It's it's the the leverage against um, somebody in a leadership position. Sometimes you feel like, well, there's nothing I can do about it. How do you make these decisions? Uh, How do you approach these decisions when it comes down to the values, the ethics, the beliefs that you have in stewarding your company? What have you learned? I'm thinking about people who are listening, who are leading other companies, and they're making ethical decisions, right? And there's choices we can make. We can say, well, I can just kind of turn my, a blind eye, and nobody's going to know, really, that this is happening, and, and I can just go about my business. Or I can act on these things. How do you decide where you act, and you know, when do you hold them, when do you fold them, when do you walk away?
1: um With the Lord, there's—I mean, my Lord is right next to me. He's listening to me right now. He knows my heart. I'm never going to do stuff that breaks his heart, and he—he he loves us, and he—he he gets great amount of joy. <laughs> I talk about the Lord. You know, we—we we think he's some monolith sometimes, but you know, he designed us so he can feel everything we feel. He feels righteous anger. He can cry. We know Christ cried a couple times, at least at least that we know of. Um, and God knows joy. He invented joy. So you know what? When when we his kids kids please our Father, He does a Snoopy dance. You know that dance where Snoopy's ears are sticking out and his feet are going like crazy. <laughs> and he, you know, and the angels say, "Look out! Look out! Angels, here he comes again." Well, when we do stuff that pleases our Lord, I mean, He just does a Snoopy dance. He is just we delight Him tremendously. We just think of you know he's like whoa that's nice he actually he he is a joyful thing and if we do joy and what we do with with real good joy we can imagine what infinite times that is and that's what he exhibits so and 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 also the breaking his heart mm-hmm. we break his heart I don't want to do that yeah. it's it's not it's not I'm not weighing anything in the balance other than you know if if it's if it's not what if it's going to hurt my Lord I'm just not going to do it yeah. I'm just not going to do it.
0: What a clear... It
1: nah, doesn't mean I'm perfect, though. I mean, I mess up. I get angry sometimes. I got some passion going on there. But I don't, with malice aforethought, go in and start to... That's when that little no-never-again comes in and says, don't do that, you know?
0: Yeah. But the, uh, uh, yeah,
1: my wife can tell you, I'm far from perfect.
0: <laughs> <laughs> she'll listen. She'll, she'll write in and say, Wait a second. No, I think just that clear clear guidance to all of us, parents, moms, dads, leaders, whoever we are, uh, I love the using the lens of joy and pain. Like, I'm in relationship, and I can do something that's going to add joy or cause pain. And if this contributes to joy and God's joy in His in His sovereignty over the world, and He can look at me as a steward in the world, and we can do that together, and it brings Him joy, I want to make decisions like that. And I think there's this idea in Scripture of shalom. And this kind of flourishing and delight in the world. And I think it appears when we steward the world like that in relationship with a God who rightly orders things and we begin to participate in creation with Him like that and we get to share that mutual delight that you're describing. I think that's the way that it's supposed to be. And I love that you are leading. Again, this is a a global company and the stakes of not complying or you know, or, or the stakes of of choosing to contribute to his joy could potentially have cost $6 million in fines to say yes to that. I think that's, if you're listening tonight, hear that because there's decisions that you're going to make at your company or at your job or as a student, and you're going to have to choose. Is this adding to the delight of God? Does this bring him joy? And there may be something across the table saying to choose his joy, there's a very real cost to that. And how many years did this battle go on, this contest?
1: I started 2012, and I'm, I'm about at the end of it with this, doing the last few things I need to do to get this new injunction the permanent in place.
0: Yeah. So eight, it's a long time. Eight, <laughs> eight years. years. Eight years, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. We
1: you know, God oh. continues to bless the company. I mean, we grew 33% last year. And we'd invested a lot. We invested money that we probably shouldn't have. When dad gave me the company that one day, we were at the bottom of a, a big drop. Remember 2008?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then one before, oh, no, this is before that. This is a, oh, this is a result of uh, the effects of, uh, you know, the, the towers falling in New York City mm-hmm. and some bad things happened financially. We've been dropping that. And the month after God gave me the, the reins of the company, it went up, and I went to my employees every month after that. The first month I went to them, and, well, first I said I, I I'm going to follow God's way this time. I mm. I'm going to quit doing. You know, we're going to we're going to praise God, good and bad. We're we're right at the bottom. we had gone through three layoffs from the previous president that had quit that had been fired, and um, we. I said we're not going to do that again. We're going to have to go to God, and so we went we went up for the next I don't know how many months. Mm. And I went back and I said, guys, this isn't me. Obviously, God's listened to us and blessing us. He continues to bless us now through some really interesting times. Our business is still pedal to the metal. And, uh, and I don't take the credit for it. I, I, he gives me the wisdom to do the right things. But, boy, a lot of people do the right things. And, the, and the, good, the, the wrong things sometimes happen. But I'm doing what he asked me to do. We invested money that some of the people in my company said, like the president of the CFO of oh my God, company said, hey, we just had this crash in the economy, you're investing a significant amount of money now coming out of the hole. You gotta kinda of slow down. And I said, No, no. We've got to reestablish who we are. So we did that year after year <laughs> as we went up, God kept blessing us. as we went up and we were right at water level financially, you know, point one profit, hold your breath. This is month by month, point one Lost, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> hold your breath. Mm-hmm. So we, we did a we did a, a kind of a... We've we watched a miraculous thing that God's done with the company right now. And the employees they are not... A lot of them are Christians.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They're from all different faiths. They're all different countries that work for me. They're all, you know, U.S. citizens, but uh, they're from very backgrounds, you know, uh, Far East, Middle East, um, you know, Latin Americans, all different races. But... um they see me as a leader and, and they I, it's a it's a safety that they feel. Not only from, you know, knowing that even if they don't believe in God that things are working out great and also the you know, the great health and medical and dental and vision and all the good insurance we have there and Asha safe life of safety and we even have a corporate chaplain go around the, co- the country at the company and, and people don't have to talk to him, but most people want to and he's been to you know, prison and funerals and hospitals and weddings with the employees, and they love them. But you know, there's a firewall between him and, and the management of the company, but they actually love that. So mm-hmm. there's a feeling of security and safety that the employees have, and it all comes from God.
0: Yeah. When you are thinking about that person who, you know, you experienced the the, the low valley before... God kind of restored you back to the company and the company then uh, grew and had success. Talk to the person right now that's listening or maybe is is a, the spouse of a person listening who has is on the decline and life is coming apart and they're they're not maybe yet to the point where they have even turned they're just watching things collapse in front of them. You've been in that place. What would you What would you say to that person who feels like God is nowhere and my life is unraveling, and I don't know what to do?
1: Well, He was with me every inch of that seven years that was that I was addicted. Mm. I know it. I saw it. But I just I just I don't know if it was I wanted to kill myself, but it could have happened. Mm. But uh, and I and also the hooks, they're pretty tough.
2: Mm.
1: So basically, but I knew he was always there. He he chases you like the hounds. You know that that song, um, "The Reckless Love of God."
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I have heard some people, oh, our God's not reckless. Yeah, he is. Mm-hmm. The stuff that Jesus did when he was here. Mm-hmm. If I was if I was not a, a Christian, one of his friends, and didn't really believe in him, but I said, "Hey, dude, you got to cool it. Mm-hmm. You're gonna you, they're gonna try to kill you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're gonna arrest you." And and he chased the Lord chased after me with reckless abandon and that's a good it's like as if if your kid is running out of the street with reckless abandon you'd run out and throw him off the side maybe even get hit by a car just to save your son's life
2: mm.
1: well this is our Lord Savior Lord God Jesus Christ and uh, he chases after us with reckless abandon in the mountains and the valleys and over walls and everything he he's he was right there with us and I had one of my family members that subsequently fell to addiction too, and I could share with them how God gave me the get out of jail free card. It was it was it was it wasn't free for him, but it was free for me when I turned around and and, and said, "God, I I I can't do this without you." <laughs> like I said, I almost heard him say, "You think?" Yeah. It was it was it was quite a day when I went home that day. My wife was. When she saw what I was doing, she was just praising God, hallelujah, all over the place.
0: <laughs> what have you learned f- about loving people who are struggling with addiction? You know, having been there yourself, that seven-year stretch, and there's so many parents I can think of. A couple, even even right now, who are asking the question, like, what do I do? Do where do I draw the line? How do I love my child with that reckless love? and yet not contribute or encourage or become hurt in the process? And, and I know there's no easy answer, but what have you learned about loving through addiction that maybe you can share with people who haven't walked that road or they're maybe walking that road for the first time?
1: Well, the first thing that comes to mind is never give up. Never give up. Mm-hmm. You know, I know family members, well, if you do that and that's it, I'm going to disown you You know. Never give up. If you love your child, or your 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 spouse, or somebody in the family, never give up. But you can't facilitate at all. You can't uh, enable any of that. Okay, but be there. And you know, I I I told people it's like when I was chasing this family member, hmm. and I wasn't chasing when God was chasing the family member. He was. He would tell me, "I need you to do this," and not I couldn't hear it verbally, but I knew in my heart I had to go. Um, But she was in prison And I had to go out there Because she was going to get out I wanted to be there mm. So I went out there Stayed for a few weeks At a hotel down the street Or a little motel And uh, you got to be there But then You know it's an up and down ride It's a roller coaster And it would break my heart But God would say Listen You're on the bench right now Just stay there for now I got it covered mm. Just don't worry Keep trusting me it's it's not going to be a straight line, like you said. It's going to be up and down, and that happened over and over for a period of a number of years, probably about seven years too. I think. Mm. Wow. Well. Huh. Anyhow, um, it's wonderful now. Yeah. A year clean, her life's back. Um, you know, it's it's a fantastic. It is truly really a miracle. But through this, my wife and I never gave up. Yeah. We yeah. didn't. We didn't. We didn't enable it. We we're always there we we're always sharing not preaching at her of course I didn't have to preach at her. I didn't have to point a bony finger at her What? Well, here's what you should do I would tell her here's what I did mm-hmm. here's what I had to do mm-hmm. I went through this I went through that so not that I would suggest that that's the best way for a daddy to to be able to give advice to his wisdom well, to his daughter but that's what happened sure and she's clean and she's she's solid again she's uh, uh she's loving the Lord, and she's enjoying life. And
0: <laughs> Praise finish. God for that. Well, I know we, we got to wrap it up or I'm going to get in trouble and they're going to kick me off the show, but here's my... I just keep thinking about this. When we got together for lunch, I was sitting there and I was listening to you and I was thinking, had I known, you know, 15 years ago or 20 years ago, had I had the opportunity to sit down for lunch with you, um, and from somebody who's just walked with God through the the mountains and the valleys and seen God do these incredible things, you know what a gift to learn from your experience for the for the person who is a, a future leader. They're they're going to lead a company. They're going to lead their family. They're going to lead in the church, and they're preparing right now. For that season, and that season will come in its due time. What can, w- what would you say to a younger person today in preparation for leadership? What are, what, what can we be doing today to prepare us for the season where we do get the opportunity to lead and to steward um, down the road?
1: I would say, get your foundation, and uh, you know, I didn't get my foundation by going to school and planning it. I got my foundation through doing a lot of stupid stuff, (laughs) okay? Mm -hmm. Getting to know God more and more, beginning to realize what he could do, beginning to realize the amazing, people say miracles, I've seen them. People walk right by his miracles sometimes and they don't realize it, but I've seen things that I can't explain. I'm an engineer and this stuff don't happen by accident, okay? Mm -hmm. And it didn't happen by some some great thing I did. Uh, You know, I kind of want to say that this there's a tremendous amount of evidence of god's absolute rock solid reality mm. he's left it in his creation you can see videos these days from a company illustra media they absolutely give abundant evidence of true design by a designer mm. this stuff doesn't happen by accident and 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 then you look at what the other evidence that god leaves in his word mm. you can see the life of jesus 8 5 to 900 years before he was even born a biography mm. In fact, part of it's an autobiography. Stuff that's written in the Old Testament, you put it chronologically. If you told the, if you said, "Who is this man?" In and read it, everybody said, "Well, that's got to be Jesus Christ." Even mm. people who don't believe. But this stuff happened. The details, like a like a like a Fox News account of the life of Jesus, mm. but it's five to nine hundred years before he was even born. So you know, in many areas of life, in arts and science and engineering, we know that design demands a designer. Mm. And we've got to know that the universe and life that's in it didn't happen by some random accident, okay? Mm-hmm. So people have got to begin opening their eyes to that reality because once you do, your decision isn't based on a feeling or a whim. It's based on the facts, God's the evidence that God's shown to you, and you know he's absolutely true. He's listened to us right, all right now. And so you act as if he's real because he is. mm and all of a sudden, your foundation and whatever you're trying to lead, he will give you what you need to lead in the areas that he wants you to go to. Mm-hmm.
0: I love it. I think that the act as if he's real because he is, that invitation is probably the the absolute exclamation point on the conversation. You're a guy who lives this way and leads this way, and the fruit is there. And again, it's not all easy. In this life, you'll have trouble, but take heart because he's overcome the world and he's with you and he, he's been with you at every step of the journey. It's beautiful to see. And I hope everybody heard that, what, what Tom just said. Choose today, like living by faith. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. When you walk into your office tomorrow every decision you make when you walk through the door to your house every decision that you make make that in relationship with the god who is there because he is and we and over time we can then look back as we have done even in this conversation and go he was there the entire way and he is going to be there in the in the future what a gift tom thank you for sharing time and just for the way that you're leading in the world, and I hope I've done justice to just how incredible it is. It's, it's not easy to lead our own private life with that kind of heart and integrity, but to do that at the scale that you have done that and do that day in and day out is really, it's awesome. So thank you for the example.
1: Wow. Well, thank you so much for having me here on your program. I really appreciate it. God bless you.
0: Yeah, and thank everybody you. everybody out there. All right. Well, we're going to, I'm going to take us out of here and then I'll catch up with you. So hang on just a second and we'll get out of here. Thanks, Tom. You've been listening to Lab the Podcast. I'm Zach Elliott. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Zach J. Elliott. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review us. Join me next time for our next episode. Thank you for listening.